Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Hello and welcome to our Monday Night Truth and Liberty live cast. I'm Andrew Womack. I've got our chief counsel here, Richard Harris, with us. And uh, man, we're going to have a great, great broadcast tonight. We've got uh, State Senator Ted Alexander with us from North Carolina, and we'll be introducing him a little bit better in a few minutes. You know, today, for those of you that didn't know, uh, we started a Truth Lovers broadcast today. We had our inaugural program at 3 o'clock Mountain Time till 4.30, and I spent about 20 minutes sharing the Word, but then I took over an hour's worth of questions, and I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. I watched it. I thought it was great. And so we're going to do that through Friday. We're going to do it five days this week. Each day it will start at 3 p.m., so if you are available to watch that, I think it was really good today. I shared a, uh, I dropped a bomb on people about the rapture. Yes, you did. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, tune in uh, Tuesday through Friday of this week, 3 o'clock, and uh, that'll be a great deal. So yes. what else you have to share before we get to our senator here? Oh, well, uh, just wanted to um, welcome everybody who's watching and remind everybody to check out the resources uh, section of our website at truthandliberty.net where you can find all kinds of helpful information to help you stand for truth in the public square. Right now we've got a lot of interest in vaccine mandates and uh, all things vaccine, and you can check out some uh, links we've got there that will uh, help you find uh, some information that you uh, you may need. And uh, also uh, coming up here at Andrew Womack Ministries, well, the holidays are just right around the corner. And uh, we just finished the, uh, the uh, uh, women's I want to say women's advance, Andrew, but I know women that's not. Women arise. <laughs> women arise. There Sorry. you go. But, but the next uh, great thing coming up here is the Heart of Christmas show. Uh, well, it's an amazing performance that will just uh, remind you about, you know, uh, all the things we love about Christmas and especially about the birth of Jesus and what it really means. So you can find out more information about that on our website at awmi.net and purchase tickets there. Make plans for your whole family to come out here to Colorado. How about Christmas in the Rockies? Another thing that's going on is we're going to have a live nativity uh, the weekend after, December 16th to the 19th, right here on the campus of Karis Bible College. And I'm telling you, it's beautiful out here, and that live nativity is just awesome. So check out those events. Um, also, uh, I want to invite you to become a subscriber to Truth and Liberty. If you're not already, you can do that on our website by going to the upper right-hand corner there and clicking subscribe. And if you just share your email with us, we will make sure that you get our blogs and our uh, information 
informational emails that go out uh, to, uh, again, with information, links, uh, action alerts, and those kinds of things that will help you make a difference in our culture. And if you subscribe today, you'll be eligible to receive a free product. Uh, last week, we gave away Andrew's book, A Better Way to Pray, and Elena Bias, congratulations on that, Elena. You're going to get an email from us uh, letting you know how you can claim that free gift. This week, we're giving away Andrew's book. Uh, it's called Discover the Keys to Staying Full of God. I think this is based on Romans chapter 1. It's Verses, verse 20. Verse 20. 21, excuse me. 21. Anyway, Andrew walks through. That's a, a verse that's so, chock so full of meaning. It's incredible what you do to that. And yep. uh, there's so much uh, that you can learn from that. And uh, so subscribe today. Be eligible for that. Also, uh, if you're not a member of the Truth and Liberty Coalition, you can become one. You say, what's a member? Well, those are the folks who've decided to partner with us financially to help us uh, stand for truth. That's what we're doing here and to equip the body of Christ. We uh, do what we do through your generosity. You can be a member today by going on our website to the donate page. Sign up to give an automatic recurring gift of $5 or more per month, and uh, you'll become a Truth and Liberty Coalition member, and we will send you... Um, Alex McFarland's book, The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. And uh, we appreciate that so much. Last thing tonight is if you need prayer, uh, Andrew's got a, a whole giant room full of trained, spirit-filled prayer ministers standing by 24-7 now. Uh, just call in at 719-635-1111. Okay, and tonight we have with us uh, Senator Ted Alexander. Richard and I both met him when we were at the excuse me, the National Association of Christian Lawmakers. And uh, I'm serving on the advisory board there. I don't know how I got on a lawmaker's advisory <laughs> board, but I'm honored to do it. And uh, Ted spoke there. And anyway, he's just a blessing. And he, he's in his second term serving in the North Carolina State Senate. Uh, he serves as the chairman of the state's, uh, uh, of the Senate State and Local Government Committee and the General Government and Operations Budget Committee. He's a member of the Senate Appropriations, Finance, Pensions and Retirement, Commerce and Insurance and Appropriation. Anyway, wow. he's doing a lot. <laughs> and uh, we are just really honored that uh, Senator Alexander would spend time with us tonight. So welcome to our Truth and Liberty broadcast, Ed. Well, thank you, Andrew. And what a pleasure it is to be with you and Richard tonight. It's good to see you again. Yeah, it's great to see you. So uh, anyway, give us a little bit of background first before we get into discussing things. How did you get into politics and uh, run for the Senate? I mean, you would have to be called or crazy <laughs> to do something like that. I, would... I, think, it's, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I, it's one of those kinds of things. Uh, I think God had put that in my heart from a young age. I was probably always a very... Uh, different kind of kid uh, in terms of having an interest in government and politics and that sort of thing. Um, when on Sunday afternoons after church, when other people would go watch football games and stuff, I would watch Meet the Press. So oh, wow. um, I always had an interest in, in those kinds of things. But also when I, of course, when I went to college, uh, I majored in political science and was involved with the North Carolina student legislature at the time. And that was really a, a very uh, transformative type of program that I w was involved with because it really taught you a lot about 
uh, government and uh, and how bills were passed and so forth. So that, that stuck with me, and and I just had that, I guess, calling, I suppose, um, all that time. It was probably about uh, around 2002, 2003, that I actually went to a Wild at Heart retreat uh, put on by John Eldridge, and really uh, just hit me that, you know, I really needed to get involved and uh, really needed to do something about it. And I'd been kind of toying with the idea, I think, of running locally for mayor. And uh, lo and behold, I did. And I was an underdog and nobody thought I could win. And, and I did. I won. And with God's help, uh, I served for eight years and I term limited myself. And then uh, I began to get more involved with the party after that, the Republican Party, and subsequently uh, found myself in the North Carolina Senate. So let me ask you about uh, how does a Christian, a person with moral convictions, <clears throat> navigate through being in the legislature today? It seems like, you know, I forgot the... I forgot the name of the senator, but he just literally, it might have been a representative that just literally stopped somebody and said that the Bible has no bearing on what we do here and stuff. You probably know exactly I, who I'm I talking I heard about that. I think that was some uh, congressman up in the U.S. House, I mm -hmm. believe. I can't yeah. remember it was who it Jerry was. Nadler. It was yeah. Jerry Nadler. Yep. Jerry Nadler. New, New York. Yep. So anyway, with that kind of an ad attitude, anti-Christian attitude in our government today. Uh, do you experience any of that there in North Carolina? How do you stand for your moral convictions? You know, somewhat, uh, it, it may not be as pronounced at the, as in the U.S. Congress or maybe in some other states. In North Carolina, we still have, you know, we still pr say prayers before uh, the Senate convenes each day. Uh, we have a, a chapel service uh, each Wednesday while we're in session, we the Republicans have a prayer caucus uh, for various members who want to uh, participate. And also the Capitol Commission, as you're probably familiar with, uh, does weekly Bible studies. And, and there are, I would say, a, a fair number, a large number, I think, of uh, dedicated Christians who work in and around the legislature so it, it may not be as uh, pronounced a, a distinction. However, uh, it is still um, quite a, sometimes can be a struggle. Even, even within our party, there are differences in sometimes in how people interpret their Christianity and live it out. But uh, all in all, I, you know, it, it, to me, it is, I, I couldn't do anything but that. I have to live out, you know, my Christian uh, beliefs, and that informs how I uh, approach all kinds of legislation that that may have moral implications. And so, I, I really, you know, sometimes you 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 take a little bit of grief for it. Uh, I'm sure that uh, my my district, I think, is probably more conservative, and there are probably more churchgoers and so forth than many others. So. But I know that there are people out there who do not and who probably, you know, feel very strongly that I may be too Christian in the way that I, you know, profess my faith. 
Well, sad to say, it seems across the nation that um, our nation is becoming more and more secular when it was founded as a Christian nation. And I tell you, it's just tragic to see what's happening. So it was a couple of years ago that North Carolina, I think, took the stand on uh, refusing to allow men into women's restrooms. And man, uh, they were boycotted over that. And uh, how has that played out? Has the boycott affected uh, North Carolina? What's happened? At the time, it, it was a tremendous um, controversy. This was just before I came on in the Senate, and uh, there were all sorts of uh, calls for boycotts, and, uh, you know, the legislature, legislature took a, a heat, a lot of heat. The governor at the time took a lot of heat for um, this passage. The way they ended up leaving it is I think they basically the legislature at the time sort of kind of put them, what they had done was passed a law which said that local governments could not um, pass ordinances which allowed transgender bathrooms, where it allowed men in women's bathrooms. And because some of the, some of the localities were passing such law uh, ordinances to allow that, Charlotte most, most notably, Charlotte Mecklenburg. So that, that's, that's where the problem started. That's why the legislation was proposed and passed. And then after the, uh, uh, the huge uproar, eventually, uh, I think probably unfortunately, the legislature did somewhat change its stance and basically said, we're not going to, uh, we're, we're going to put this on a moratorium until 2021 and revisit it. They put it till 2021, 2021, and I don't think anything has been revisited. So I, my understanding is that uh, localities now can do that, but uh, it did not go well at the time. It was a huge, huge um, uh, fight. At the so time. it sounds like the woke culture kind of won out there. Mm. At least in my in my opinion, I think that they gained some ground on that. I do, and I, and I, and I know why the legislature did it at the time, uh, what they did, but uh, and it was very tough. I, I think that they had to have Democrat votes in order to pass that particular law at the time, because I don't think a majority of the Republicans voted for that. I guess it's called a rescindance of that that ordinance. And you aren't very far from Loudoun County, Virginia, where they've allowed uh, the transgenders and that girl was raped by a boy wearing a skirt and stuff. Has any of this crept into uh, North Carolina? Is the critical race theory or this transgenderism stuff coming into the schools there? Well, the critical race theory, I think, has been building up for, for a long, long time. If you look back over you know, 30, 40 years, this sort of train of thought has been building steam. And, and I think only recently, as is so often the case, we Christians sort of, uh, we get blindsided because we've been living our lives and doing things otherwise and not paying attention. But uh, it has really, uh, I think, blossomed. It is probably not quite as pronounced in North Carolina and in some areas of the state. I think some of the larger cities it is fairly pronounced where they, you know, they, rather than teaching 
civics and the importance of, you know, the history of our country and its founding, you will find uh, questions on tests and curricula such as, you know, how would you feel if you were, an, uh, you know, a, a, a woman at the time of some era or something? It, it, it's all very subjective kind of stuff and really doesn't, I don't think, get you from point A to point B. The math is now considered, you know, racist. And in the university systems, Andrew, it, in the university system, I think it's really in, in some of our universities, particularly it seems to have uh, just become quite rampant. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, just recently at our, what most would consider the flagship university of uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, the Office of uh, Fraternity and Sorority Life brought in a speaker I won't, I won't mention the name, but uh, brought in a speaker from uh, a group called Social Responsibility Speaks. And essentially it was mandatory for the students in the sororities and fraternities to, to attend. And in that presentation that was made, and which we, I think we actually have uh, ultimately a link and people can probably uh, watch watch it or see, uh, th there was basically claims that uh, land in North Carolina was stolen, uh, that, uh, <clears throat> that be uh, grocery stores uh, and the size of the aisles uh, uh, and, and the height of the, the, the shelves are oppressive because not everyone can reach the top shelf. Oh. Uh, airlines, That's airlines are oppressive because every not everybody can fit into an average size seat. Did you know that? Uh, well, uh, I knew that. that. Yeah, we're they are oppressive because some people are different sizes, and that our society disempowers or sometimes harms people who are left-handed, and that whiteness and white privilege pervade our society and that whiteness and white privilege can be juxtaposed with other tenets of oppression. It, it just goes on and on that, that again, it's, it's, it's almost a dismantling of our entire structure of how you look at things. Uh, critical race theory is a pretty toxic, I think, way of looking at things and, and also as is its cousins of intersectionality to a large degree, uh, the whole issues of social justice and uh, white privilege, those phrases, all of that, it really doesn't help our society in terms of what we traditionally want to do, which is live peaceably with each other, to, to tolerate each other and to be able to get along with each other and to respect each other. So if CRT. I'm not mis if I'm not mistaken, yeah. in uh, North Carolina, you have the legislature, the Congress, and Senate are conservative, but you got a yes. Democratic governor. So is any of this uh, is that going to be a bulwark, a stop against all of this liberal stuff? How's it working? Well, out? we are doing what we can in the legislature, both in the Senate and the House. Again, we don't have. Uh, super veto-proof majorities. For instance, Andrew, we did pass uh, a bill in both houses that would 
basically um, tell public schools that they could not promote sort a lot of these sorts of um, CRT um, premises, such as one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. Now, who could argue with that? Apparently but we were saying governor. that, yeah. yes, because <laughs> yeah. it was basically, it was a vetoed. Uh, uh, some of the other tenants that, that we said you should not or could not teach as an individual's moral, moral character is necessarily determined by his or her race or sex, which mm. is essentially what CRT proposes. Um, that an individual solely by virtue of his or her race or sex bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. And, you know, that is so contrary not only to, I think, just common sense, but it's very contrary to us as Christians who believe that, you know, we're not responsible for the sin of, other than the original sin, which we all fall under, but those specific sins that, you know, uh, individuals did, we, we are not responsible for those. We didn't, we can't be held accountable for what they did years ago. And uh, there is no grace or forgiveness in the critical race world, um, theory world, and which is, again, completely anti-Christian. Yeah, those you know, kinds of in, things we, we passed and unfortunately, uh, it, it was vetoed. You know, in the Old Testament, it's, it's said that there was a proverb about the fathers of eating sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on the edge, but it says that won't be said anymore. And it was a prophecy about Jesus that every man will give an account for their own sins and they'll stand right. before God. So that is a biblical principle yes. and CRT and all of this uh, uh, project 1619 reparations. Yes, everything. all of that. It's, it's very related, all related. It's, and it's, it's completely against the word of God. It is an ungodly principle. It is. And, I, and, and I'll just say, Andrew, I think one of the best uh, books that I have seen uh, to encapsulate that, what you just said and, and make the argument and how anti-biblical it is and, and basically how anti-civil rights it is. Yeah. Um, it was a book is a book by Vody Bauckham, which is uh, Fault Lines. And and I would encourage anybody to uh, look at that book and read it as fast as you can, because it will open up your eyes in terms of the game that's being played through critical race theory. And and I think he speaks with a lot of authority and he has a very good uh, uh, take on how this is really basically goes against all the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King. Yep. You know, yeah. Vody Bachman, I got to hear him speak at a recent conference, and uh, he's a black guy. Uh, for those yes. who don't know that, he's uh, currently running a Bible college in, in Africa somewhere, but he's American by birth and uh, articulate, powerful speaker, strong grasp of, of the Bible and theology. So I'm, I haven't read that book yet myself, but I, I, I'm, I'm wanting to. So, Senator, I, I tomorrow would you to here... Tomorrow's an election day here. It's an off year, but we've got important school board races going on here in Colorado. What's what's happening there in North Carolina? Do you have any elections? We do. We have uh, mostly uh, this year is a kind of an off year election. We're we're not like the state of Virginia where they're electing their governor uh, just north of us, but it's mainly 
uh, local elections. But those local elections, you know, can have some pretty significant consequences, as was demonstrated by our discussion just a little while ago about what some of the larger cities were doing with, uh, you know, the bathrooms and so forth. But, you know, it's it's from these local elections that, well, folks like myself, either one get a, a jumping off point or they get um, a platform. And so that's why, and plus they make policy. So that's why these local elections are very critical, but Christians need to get out and vote at the, the local elections as well. And, and so many times they just, um, we, we ignore them. And then we wonder why we get uh, the kinds of actions that we get. So I would encourage people, uh, particularly Christian folk, you know, to go vote your convictions uh, during the elections uh, coming up tomorrow. All over, of course, not only North Carolina, but all over uh, the country. So let me ask you about the federal mandates on the mask, the vaccinations and stuff like this. Is uh, You've got federal employees there. Are any of the cities enforcing this with their police force, with their fire departments? What's how, How's it going in North Carolina? Well, in, in North Carolina, to my knowledge, um, there are few, there are few, there are some governmental entities that I believe that are trying to enforce uh, mandated vaccines. And we are trying our best to try to, uh, or at least I, I'm totally opposed to mandates for vaccines. I, I, I don't have anything against the vaccine itself. People are, are helped by that, and if, and if, and that's a good thing. But to tell some, compel somebody to to do this, uh, I think is is really wrong. We've seen hospitals that are are mandating it for their workers, whereas you know just last year these people were considered heroes, and now yeah. it, just because they may have. Uh, some strong uh, religious beliefs against it that they're being uh, basically shown the door. Now they are they are allowing uh, exemptions and 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 they should, but sometimes people are not getting them when they request them. And I, I just think this is wrong. But it's 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 not a good path that we're we're going down. I don't think for mandating these kinds of vaccines. So, like in New York and uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth with American Airlines, they've been having problems because of the staffing. People are calling in sick to protest all of this. Is that happening in North Carolina? To some degree, yeah. I think is with some of the uh, health care facilities. Uh, you know, we, 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 we have a shortage of, of nursing uh, folks and, and health care providers in any event. And, of course, it's been exacerbated by covid and now we're telling people, okay, if you don't get a vaccine and you don't have the appropriate argument and for a religious exemption of some kind, then we're going to let you go. And that's only going to make things worse in terms of our health care and the ability to provide health care for folks because we're short-staffed anyway. I, I just think it's a very wrong-headed kind of we, – we should be putting more emphasis, in my opinion – on making sure that if you get the COVID, that you get that treatment that has been proven so um, effective. 
uh, which is, I believe, the iverve ivermectin and the uh, hydrochloroquine, none of which I can ever pronounce. But <laughs> you did real uh, good. those kinds of, you know, those kinds of treatments when provided early on seem to have a, a very um, a good effect. Uh, and to me, I'd like to see us put more emphasis on that as opposed to uh, making people have a vaccine. Yep. And, you know, Texas, they had an argument, I believe, before the Supreme Court today about their abortion restrictions. And then on December the 1st, they're arguing a case that could overturn Roe versus Wade. Do you have any feel for how North Carolina would respond if that was kicked back to the state? Would they outlaw abortion or place restrictions on it? Well, I believe that um, if if we get the supermajorities and if we have a, a, a governor who is a conservative, I think we will be able to make quite a bit of progress in terms of, um, I think, riding what is arguably uh, one of the most, I, I think, heinous things, uh, which is the taking of human life. And I think that we will be able to put some uh, uh, teeth into trying to do something about it. I, I myself uh, am a proponent of the heartbeat bill, which basically says mm -hmm. that if uh, a doctor can detect a heartbeat on a, a baby in the in the womb, that 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 baby cannot be aborted, because you in, it, it's proof that that this is a living being, and uh, we have passed some legislation that during the past year, we passed two particular pieces of legislation uh, indicating our pro-life stance, one being the Born Alive Abortion Survivor Act. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am, yeah. But essentially what that means is, is that if a, 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 a woman goes in to have uh, an abortion and that abortion fails, if it People call it a botched abortion, or if it, for some reason it's not a successful abortion and the baby is born alive, then it would be incumbent upon those healthcare providers and others to take life-saving measures as if they would any other baby born alive. And I don't think that that is at all uh, radical or yeah. anything else. It is basically saying this baby was born alive and we're going to try to save yeah. it. And that bill passed. Unfortunately, it, it was vetoed, and we don't have the uh, mm. ability to override. There was one other bill that passed, too, that was vetoed, and that was a, a very common sense uh, bill regarding the fact that you, you should not be able to uh, have an abortion based on race of a child or sex of a child or some disability like Down syndrome. And you should not be able to have an abortion just for those reasons. Select, you know, kind of selective, you know, selective um, um, something that we just don't want to do. But, but yet that was vetoed as well. And and I just find that yeah. 
just very disturbing. You would think that anybody who would would take a baby who's born alive and is outside of the womb yes. and is alive, that that would constitute life. But Virginia and New York, in anticipation of Roe versus Wade being overturned, actually passed legislation that you could sit there and say, I want that baby dead. Yeah because it was a botched abortion, as you said. And that's just unbelievable. Well, and the, the Born Alive Protection Act in the U.S. House has been there for, yep. what, a year and a half, two years, and Nancy Pelosi won't allow it to even come for a vote. So it's uh, unbelievable. I tell you, anybody that would take that stance is so hard-hearted and, I mean, it's evil. That's not just a mistake. That's not an opinion. That's pure evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about power. And, and Andrew, now, not and Andrew right my, my, my wife, um, works or volunteers for the Pregnancy Resource Center here in our county. And and I am so proud of her for doing that. And she has been trained, she's a nurse, and she has been trained uh, now to use the ultrasounds. And it is an amazing thing to hear the stories about how these young women, when they come in, possibly abortion-minded, when they are able to see uh, the um, ultrasound, how they're, they're you know, they yeah. just change so much more times than not that they understand fully that this is, this is a life. This is a baby. This isn't something uh, uh, part of just part of my body or whatever. This, this is a really separate life. Yeah. And it's really encouraging to hear the stories of those women who have taken steps and saved their baby and not have the abortion. And, and, and these pregnancy resource centers all over the country, uh, my hat's off to them because they work with these women, not only to help them at a time of crisis and, and, and encourage them, but if they choose to have the baby, then they will work with them afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, they would probably, even after, if, if a woman decided to have an abortion, that does not mean they don't love those women. Absolutely. Because they have made a decision and, and, and you know, they, they want to make sure that that woman still is loved and actually ultimately comes to know Jesus Christ. And that's where it turns lives around. Well, you know, I helped start four pregnancy centers here in our area, and I was on the board of directors for many years and still am their biggest... Uh, supporter and contributor and uh, we put uh, sonogram machines in each one of the centers and I think the stats are that oh, 85 to 90 percent of all of the people who see their child on a sonogram decide to go ahead and uh -huh. give birth. So uh -huh. we have yeah. over 6,000 pregnancy <clears throat> resource centers in the U.S. and less than 600 Planned Parenthoods and yet uh -huh. Planned Parenthood is saying that if they were to be closed or defunded that women wouldn't have anywhere to go and there is nothing that Planned Parenthood provides that the pregnancy resource centers don't provide and do it better and with more availability except abortion. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yep. And, yep. And, and when you hear the debate sometimes on these kinds of bills from the other side, from folks who are very, very liberal on this, it just breaks your heart to, to hear the kinds of arguments that are made to try to justify the kinds of things that we just talked about, that you know, a baby is born alive. I, I don't know how much more black and white you can get with that, but yet they will come up with, 
they, they will begin to impute, they will shift the argument and try to impugn the pregnancy resource centers and say that they're just uh, some sort of uh, place that is fooling women or they're, they're somehow tricking them or that they're, uh, they, they don't have any real medical assistance or you know, anything that they can say to impugn those pregnancy resource centers, they try to shift the, the uh, argument rather than the, the very true argument, which is this is a life. Yeah. And no matter how you look at it, this is a life that's important. And I, I just cannot understand. I, it, it just it does. It breaks my heart more than anything to yeah. hear people make the argument against those kinds of things. I feel very I feel sorry for those folks because I think they're very much deceived. And I, I, I don't I, I wish that some of those folks uh, some of those legislators, I think, at some point in time, would simply take the time and go visit some of these pregnancy resource oh, yeah. centers and, yeah. and and be with the staff and the volunteers and see well, the kind of compassionate work that they do. I'm real well, proud of my wife, Patty. Amen. Yeah. So, Senator, uh, we're probably going to take some questions here in four or five minutes, but uh, one of the things I don't hear people talking about enough we talk about critical race theory, about the mandates, the overreach of government, et cetera, et cetera. But man, this uh, $3.5 trillion bailout and stuff, our debt is going through the roof and it's unsustainable. Um, how do you feel about all of this? You being in the legislature, what's happening? It is absolutely unbelievable to me the amount of federal money that is I would say raining down from heaven, but I, I wouldn't say that anymore because <laughs> no. of the Congress the way it yeah. is right now. But it is literally pouring into the states. And some people would think that's a good thing. And, you know, it's coming our way. So we're faced as a, as a legislature to spend money. And maybe that's not a bad thing, but we've got to spend it in a way that fits the guidelines and at the same time we have to spend it wisely and you know you can you, it's like drinking from a fire hose you, you you get all this money and our biggest concern is that it not get wasted at the state level and put into i've heard i've heard stories of uh housing authorities that were given money in north carolina and the money doesn't actually end up going to help provide assistance. Now, a lot of it does uh, to provide assistance for folks who need it. And that's a good thing. You can make that argument. But there's so much and it's coming in in such tranches that they had to go find ways to spend that money. So they went out and bought two cars for the office. Uh, you know, they bought all kinds of new office furniture and that kind of stuff. And it's like, they got to find ways to spend this money and because, uh, under the guidelines, and in and 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 in terms of the federal deficit, I think it's going to cause inflation far beyond what we uh, have have experienced to this date. If we don't do something to rein in yeah. uh, There's federal an article, spending, it's it, it's out of an control. article on that subject right now in today's issue of the Epoch Times on. Uh, the, what they've done and that's creating a structural atmosphere for inflation. It's really, really interesting. You're exactly right on that. And uh, Senator, can't the state of North Carolina say no to any of that money? Why do you, why well, do you say you're forced to spend it? 
Well, you, I, I suppose you you could you could turn it down, but the, the reality is that I don't know of any state that has done that. And um, there are there are some good things again that come about as a result of the money, but it's just where that money's coming from. You and I are paying for that, and everybody in the country is paying for it. And and it may do some good things. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, there are lots of examples where the PPP money kept businesses and nonprofits and so forth afloat during the uh, during the COVID last year. But then again, the extra additional money that uh, was given for unemployment, once the economy began to change a little bit, it actually worked against us because now, uh, or up until especially until September. It was basically paying people uh, more to stay at home yeah. than to go get a job, and and therefore you you know there was a worker shortage, so it it cuts both ways. You know you can argue against our financial deficit from just a financial standpoint, but I've got five pages of quotes here from congressmen, presidents going back to the founding of our nation, that say that the government does not have the right to take on charity and welfare. And let me just read one of them here from none other than Congressman Davy Crockett. All right. <laughs> and this is back in 1884, um, I guess it is. Is that right? Yeah, I thought he early, was earlier, earlier than that. Yeah, yeah. So the date may be wrong. But anyway, this is Davy Crockett, and he said that it's not yours to give, talking about money to people says, Congress has not the power to appropriate this money as an act of charity. Every member of this floor knows it. I will give one week's pay to the object, and if every member of Congress will do the same, it will amount to more than the bill asks. We have the right as individuals to give away as much of our own money as we please in charity, but as members of Congress, we have no right to appropriate a dollar of the public money. And you can just go on, Herbert Hoover, mm -hmm. uh, Grover Cleveland, on and on. I think it was Gerald Ford that says a government that's big enough to give you everything you need is also big enough to take away from you everything you've got. Mm -hmm. So I think that we could argue against all of this social welfare on the basis that the government was not intended to deal with all of the problems. The church and individuals were originally tasked with that, and we made a major mistake when FDR began to start putting in yep. all of the welfare programs. Yep, that's, that's right. Well, and an interesting read, of course, is uh, Marvin Olasky's books uh, dealing with that very issue. And, and he uh, brought out, this was uh, early 90s, that he talked about how exactly what you said. Uh, initially, all the churches, I mean, excuse me, all the hospitals, most of the hospitals, the orphanages, uh, uh, most of our uh, groups that we think of today, the Salvation Army, the YMCA's, uh, Red Cross, all of those were Christian-based organizations at the time. And, and built out of those people living out of their Christian yep. beliefs and starting those kinds of things. And, and unfortunately, over the years, many of those organizations uh, have maybe still doing good work, but I think they've lost a lot of their Christian foundation. Yeah, and the hospitals especially, they begin to start taking government money, Medicaid, Medicare for things, and now I have read reports that the doctors who are speaking out against the vaccination and the health risk associated with it are people who are not on staff at a hospital and aren't getting government money, but all of the government paid people 
are obligated to re regurgitate all of the stuff that CDC and the NIH are saying. So again, here's the money. The love of money is the root of all evil, and it gained government access to things that they should not have been dictating. Amen. Yeah. Very good. All right, so we need to take some questions here. We got All any right. questions? Yes, sir, we do. Uh, here's one on that very subject, Andrew, from Stacia. And Stacia asks, are there any bills, I, I think this is probably for North Carolina, being written to protect the doctors and nurses who are coming against this medical tyranny, the, the mandatory vaccines? They see firsthand this government overreach in our medical industry. If they're prescribing anything other than these mandated vaccines, they risk losing their jobs. What's going on in North Carolina on that? Well, there's the big argument going on regarding whether how how can uh, a go the government basically tell private industries how to run their business, and that's always uh, the problem is that we have private businesses, which most hospitals and most those kinds of things are. So how do we intervene and how do we tell them how to run their business? Um, I quite frankly think that we should be able to use uh, some of the uh, controls that we do have, whether it be permitting or some of the licenses and things like that, to put some pressure on some of these uh, folks that, that they should not be demanding that people uh, get the vaccines or that they be released. I think it's very counterproductive for them to be doing that. So, but, Senator, uh, is that your personal opinion or is that the... Yes. Uh, okay, so the legislature there in North thing. Carolina... Legislatively, legislatively, I am... There may be some legislation that's been proposed, but a lot of this came about. Our deadline has passed for a new legislation, and a lot of this has come up, unfortunately, after the, that deadline. So I, I don't know that there will be anything put in this session. It could be. And if there is, I certainly would uh, be a supportive of that. So it'd have to be a special session, I guess. Mm. Very good. Well, here's another question, which is um, uh, from a viewer wanting to know if North Carolina has had any election integrity issues. And uh, I think you you border Georgia, this viewer is saying, how did you avoid similar election integrity problems like Georgia faced? North Carolina, uh, a lot of people argue that we did not have a lot of election integrity issues. Um, I think that there were some myself personally. Um, and I think that one thing that did help us was that we did not have the Dominion machines that uh, I think Georgia had. Cool. And I think that that helped us a lot. Uh, some of the other things that helped North Carolina was that we did pass some legislation during the election that that, that sort of would help stanch some of the, uh, the, the stuff that went on in other states. However, I have to say that I'm still a little skeptical, and I believe that there were some things that had to have happened. I just, I just don't think a lot of how do you elect a, a Republican president and Republican lieutenant governor and virtually all council of state uh, offices uh, Republican and a North Carolina Senate, U.S. Senate Republican and then elect four 
a, gov a governor, a Democrat, and then three other officers of the council of the state, all of which, those are the four, the attorney general, the governor, the state auditor, and the secretary of state, all of which have oversight or audit capabilities of elections. So I, I am very concerned about that. I think there are a lot of other people who are concerned about that. The House uh, Freedom Caucus has called for, for more investigation into this. Uh, I think a lot of people have said, well, the, the governor's race, uh, uh, it, it was just a lot of uh, otherwise Republicans who kind of felt like that uh, the mask issue with our candidate, he, he didn't take COVID seriously, so a lot of people voted uh, in favor of our governor. There's no doubt that our governor had, he was on TV every day and probably amounted to millions and millions of dollars of free, basically free advertising that he would get every day. So there's some argument that that that, uh, that kind of helped in that relationship in terms of the election, but but I'm still very concerned about it. And I know there are a lot of other people concerned about it. Um, I don't know that there's a whole lot that we can do for the past election. We can continue to look into it, but I think what we have got to do and we did do uh, is pass some legislation that would uh, election integrity. And that is we passed a, a, a bill that would make election day, election day, and that all the, all the ballots need to be returned and counted by, you know, they need to be returned by election day. That's a pretty simple concept, if you ask me, uh, especially since we have now almost like, seems like 17 or 20 days of early voting in North Carolina. Seems like it goes on for all year. But uh, we, we, we passed that again. It was not, uh, it was vetoed. And we also have passed legislation that would prohibit what we call uh, collusive settlements. We had a situation in North Carolina where our election laws were challenged by a third party. They challenged, they brought suit against the legislature and the state board of elections and our attorney general and our attorney general and the state board of elections basically, I guess what you would call cut a deal like a plea bargain, I guess, is the basic, best I can come up with a, an analogy. But but left out the legislature. The legislature was not involved in that deal with the judge. And so we would, we have passed a bill that would prohibit that sort of thing. And also we, we passed a bill which would prohibit outside money from coming into our state board of election. You know, there were there, a lot of these uh, big tech billionaires uh, were giving money to state boards of elections for whatever reason, voter education, I suppose. And, you know, that just doesn't seem right to me. And we passed a bill that would uh, stop that too. Again, we're, we're somewhat limited in what we can do because every agency that would do an audit is essentially controlled by the other party. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we just got to, uh, we do what we can and continue Senator, to monitor and hopefully we don't have any issues in the future. I think at that conference Andrew and I met you at, they passed a model election reform law um, that had a lot of important stuff in it. Has North Carolina taken yes. that up and considered that, that bill? 
Um, I'm sure that we will or would. Again, uh, we we continue to face the situation, and, and it sounds like a broken record where uh, we simply just don't have the ability to override these vetoes. But I I, I suspect that the, yes, we will probably see more and more uh, election bills to prohibit these kinds of things. We we've got to do what we can. We can't just sit back and do nothing. And just because the governor uh, it happens to veto a lot of bills, but but we will do what we can. And if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the big problems with the 2020 elections that it's uh, only the legislature that can change the voting procedures. And yet there were municipalities changing the things, allowing extra time for uh, ballots to be counted and on all kinds of things. And that was one of the challenges that uh, Giuliani and Sidney, was it Powell? City Powell. Powell. That was one of the things they were challenging, that they were just making these changes on a municipality basis without the legislature, which is against right. the Constitution. And, and we faced a similar situation in North Carolina with our State Board of Elections, and, and uh, they were essentially, again, doing this plea bargaining, if whatever you want to call it, a deal, um, a settlement, um, and also uh, basically trying to uh, change procedures in midstream in the election, which uh -huh. just because they said, well, we have the emergency ability to do that under COVID, which we dispute. We do not think that they had that ability to do that. Uh -huh. And uh, so we are trying to, one of the other things that is related to elections is we are trying to uh, curb the emergency powers of the governor. And this should be done, whether it be a Republican governor, Democrat governor, or whoever else. Uh, in North Carolina, our laws or emergency powers are pretty stiff. We, they're pretty strong. But they were passed with the intention of helping in situations with natural disasters, with floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and things like that. Nobody ever anticipated that these laws would be utilized to um, what started out to be a sort of a 15-day moratorium yeah. to slow down the curve of the virus would now stretch into a year and a half worth of uh, executive orders that yeah. you know, well, here, have shut here down in, businesses and done everything else. Here in Colorado, our governor was only given the uh, authority for executive powers for 30 days, and then he had to go to the legislature to get an extension and he didn't and he just kept extending for months six months and there's still restrictions and things in place that he's using those emergency powers for and that's the reason that i sued the government the colorado government and fought back and praise god we won that's right thank you richard for well, standing and helping us do that and matt staver well uh so, uh, can we squeeze in another one here one, one last question for i you. wanted to th uh, toss this out one one bit of good news and bright light in North Carolina is your lieutenant governor, if I'm correct, Mark Robinson. He's uh, been getting uh, a lot of headlines lately, catching some flack. And uh, what do you think of uh, Lieutenant Governor Robinson? We have an outstanding lieutenant governor, and I'll make no bones about that to anybody. Uh, he is a fine Christian man in every speech that he ever gives. The first thing he says is he gives credit to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I think God honors him for that. He is plain spoken. He, he relates 
and is able to convey messages to, I would say, you know, the common man. He does it with, uh, he's, he's humorous. He uses humor, but he's also very forceful and very strong in his message and very, very tough. And uh, I, I like it. I think he does a, a good job. He does a good job uh, serving as the president of the Senate um, and conducts the meetings uh, when he is present. He does a great job of, of doing that. And I think he's got a great platform for education. He's certainly against critical race theory, which I think he lends a great deal of credibility to that effort. He's also very much uh, plugged in to trying to reduce the amount of uh, political correctness and the social justice kinds of things that are, I think, really detrimental in our, our curriculum and education. He's been uh, a great proponent of trying to reduce that sort of thing. And he's fearless. And, uh, I, you know, you may, may or may not disagree, you may agree with him or not, but I think the man speaks his mind, and that is a refreshing thing, Amen. one way or the other, yeah. in, in the uh, in, in any kind of form of uh, political office. Well, he Senator, we're about we're about out of time. But before we let you go, uh, do you have a website or anything? If somebody wants to contact you, can you give your web address? Sure, it's uh, tedforsenate.com is my uh, web address and uh, you can reach me through that. And I, I would be happy to, you know, communicate to anybody. I'll, I have my web, uh, my email. I, I don't mind giving my email. It's ted at tedforsenate.com. That's ted great. Ted at tedforsenate.com. Uh, well, we thank you for taking the time and coming on and thank you for standing up. Thank you for running for office and getting mm -hmm. involved. And we just pray that God is giving you favor and amplifying your voice so that it's making a difference there. Appreciate you very much. Well, thank much. you, Andrew and Richard. It's a, it's a real blessing to serve. And uh, I am blessed by serving, but I hope that I can be a blessing to others in the capacity that God has placed me in. I, I really feel like that uh, that's what I want to do is do as, you know, they say do as much good as you can all the time. And that's what I want to do. And Amen. Uh, I thank you both for what y'all do. So we're going to have to let you go. We're about out of time, but thanks to CTN for putting us on their network again. We want to thank you. And we want to thank all of you for watching. Remember that we do this every Monday night, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. And remember that this week, Tuesday, through Friday, we've got our Truth Lovers broadcast that's on at 3 to 4.30, a live call-in program. Watch it. You'll be blessed. Good night. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast. Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer-supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net 